0: Hello oh, and welcome to Glad Tidings, the Athletics Everton podcast. With me, Greg O'Keefe, and as ever, Patrick Boyland. So before we reflect on Tuesday night and Newcastle, we'll go back to the Mr. Time to Saturday afternoon <laughs> and the London Stadium happier times, Pat, <laughs> <laughs> um, when Everton drew one all with David Moyes' West Ham. Let's touch on that game and then there were themes from that game that that's uh, contributed to the articles on the Everton page of the site this week. First of all, the, the game overall, what did you? What did you make of it? I thought it was a really poor game of football. Yeah, um, that bad, goes wasn't it?
1: <laughs> goes for both sides. Now it must have been ten times worse for you, sat there with your binoculars in
0: the in the in, up in the guards of the the London Stadium. Paddy's referring to the uh, yeah the press box there. It's in, in the the uh, London Stadium. It's absolutely miles away from the pitch. It's really not it's the best. It's
1: difficult for away fans as well. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever been there as an away fan, but you just you feel so far away from the action. And I guess that's what we love about Goodison: the fact that wherever you are in the stadium. You're only a hair's breath away from the, from the side of the and pitch. And they
0: split them into sections, the away fans as well, don't they? By yeah. the nature of the way the ground's been constructed, they're kind of in a lower and upper tier, but then what to one side, so not good.
1: No, it's, it's really, really not good. It's not, it's not a football stadium, is it? If, if we're being honest, it's, a, it's an athletics track. It was a really successful athletics arena for the, for the Olympics. Um, and obviously West Ham have stumbled on a deal. Gives them the right to, to, to host football games there anyway. Still feels like we're in that transitional period and uh, it may affect things on the pitch. It certainly did at the beginning. But no, not not a good game of football at all. I, I cast my mind back to the end of last season when Everton went there and really turned West Ham over. Yeah. It was dominant performance from Andre Gomez in midfield. Bernard, uh, Bernard scored uh, a, a kind of a, a rare goal for, for yeah. him. Um, and everything kind of seemed... Really, merry at the time, didn't it? Everton, Everton played yeah, it really, did, it? really, really yeah. well. It was one of one of the best. Everton weren't good away from home last season, but that was definitely one of the best away performances. Yeah, albeit against a pretty inept West Ham side that day. I think in last week's pod we kind of sp- sp- we teed this up almost for David Moyes to get his revenge after coming so close. That to was the our Everton, fear, wasn't it? The, the Everton job for a while it did it did mm. it did look like that, didn't it? Uh, from an Everton perspective, I just thought they were far too lack in possession, again we saw issues in the centre of midfield carelessly giving the ball away and it wasn't so much that West Ham had the tools to hurt Everton, it was almost that Everton had the tools to hurt Everton and certainly in midfield, time after time the ball would break down and West Ham would quickly be into the space behind Luca Dean or Seamus Coleman, particularly down Luca Dean's side, I I thought he had a difficult game and they just didn't really get any kind of rhythm on the ball with their passing didn't particularly threaten to any any no. real extent to the point where I thought West Ham's opener was merited. Um, obviously, Everton hit back wonderfully four minutes later yeah. through, through Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But that was almost a goal out of the blue for me, um, a goal that maybe masked how poor Everton had been up to that point. We're being very negative. The thing to say here is that they got a point away from home against a West Ham side that's got a new manager, yeah. should be experiencing that bounce. Everton were missing some really key players as well. So I don't think before the start of the game I would have been particularly disappointed with a one one draw. I don't I don't know about yeah. you. One 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 if away away at West Ham if you're winning your home games, particularly against sides like Newcastle and you <laughs> more time of, after more time. Of that later. Well yeah, time after time you're kind of amassing four points a week. Yeah. I think that gets you somewhere around Champions League, Europa qualification over the course of a season. Yeah. Some positive things, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin with the goal, I don't know what you thought but to me it just he just looks like a natural goal scorer now in a way that he hasn't really done. Yeah. Um, and that was the kind of poachers goal that kind of Evidence is that better than most. Mm-hmm. He's he's rarely scored that kind of goal. Often it's being kind of a really good header or kind of latching on to a ball in behind the defence. But the fact that he's just in the right place at the right time, totally. knew how yeah. to manoeuvre his body to put that in. And it was quite difficult. He had to he had to kind of get his head round. He had to respond quickly to Holgate's header. Um, I thought that was a real positive from the game and he obviously continued that on, on Tuesday night. The other huge positive, um, and maybe we haven't given him due credit, uh, is Mason Holgate I thought he was he was the best player on the pitch actually just on so Saturday. so composed on Saturday I yeah, totally
0: agree yeah he was tremendous
1: wasn't he? he he really was I mean there was a real disparity and a real sharp contrast between what he was doing from centre half admittedly with a bit more space on the ball yeah and what others were doing around the pitch particularly in both midfields he really well, was,
0: yeah, he was he was arguably the bet- better than any of the central midfielders for both sides as well wasn't he well, he's the best ball player I say he's the best player on the pitch. He's probably
1: one of the best ball players as well. I just think he's he's really come of age. I think he, he now looks effectively like a leader yeah. in this Everton side at the age of I think he's twenty three. Mm. At the age of twenty three, commanding um, in defence, striding out with the ball, and it's not like he's a left footed centre back. It's not like he's suited to the left side. I think he'd actually be much better on the right, bringing the ball on his stronger foot. He's
0: compensating like for Mina, isn't he? And he uh, is. compensating for the, for that sort yeah. of naturally inclined right footer there. So just underlines his ability, doesn't it? I mean, I think he's the potential he's still got to develop as well. Really filled me with the optimism for him being a sort of another um, forty-plus million-pound player, if you like. Because there's occasions when he, he he gets under the ball a little bit, I think, and he doesn't judge sometimes his defensive headers. And I'm only p- trying to pick faults because everything else about what he's been doing has been absolutely superlative, especially when he's on the ball. And every team who's got any ambition needs a ball-playing cent- centre-back. You know, you need someone who can t- put his foot on it and bring it out from the back. Now, it'd obviously help if they had ball-playing centre midfielders ahead of them. But Holgate, as you, you're right, has absolutely come of age at a crucial time um, when it was kind of make or break for him, wasn't it? You know, after what happened on his loan last season and... It wouldn't surprise me if they're they're trying to expedite contract talks for him sooner rather than later with the sort of relative short term deal he's got left now.
1: Yeah, well, he's he's you you wrote didn't you last week on on the athletic site that he's only got two and a half years left on on that deal. That's right. Yeah, you would you would hope that Everton are trying to tie him to one, and we 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 believe they yeah. they are going to take steps very soon to do that. Performances will like he's been given, will attract interest from other Premier League clubs, from other clubs I across, they are already. across Europe. We, we believe, again, that they are. Um, you also reported in that piece, didn't you, that you, you knew that Gareth Southgate was watching him and is, is kind of paying keen attention to how he's progressing. That's no surprise at all to me. It's no. really no surprise at all. You You think what well, Southgate looks for in his defenders and he privileges that ability to, to play out from the back. So it's why Jordan Pickford continues in goal, I think. So you've got, you've got somebody there in Mason Holgate who, who does that. But I think as well, you have mentioned there, I think he's, he's actually, he's he's only about six foot, but he more than punches his weight in the air and he attacks the ball very well, sometimes to his detriment, you you might say, but he's also deceptively quick across the ground. Yeah. I think he, he's definitely Everton's quickest center back. Mm. Um, Maybe that's not saying much, given some of the other options. <laughs> but he's definitely ever since quickest centre-back. And there's an all-round package when you put that together with that desire, that will to win, and everything that comes with Mason Holgate off the pitch. I think you've got quite a player in your hands. It, it was great for me. It was really, really good continuing this theme of, of praise and Mason. It was really good to see um, on Tuesday night after the disappointment of the 2-2 draw and what happened against Newcastle. Him and Dominic Calvert-Lewin were the two that went to the Gladys Street at the end, Yeah. kind of waved to the fans, effectively wanted to to, to, to say their amends for, for what had been seen on the pitch. It wasn't their fault, by the way. Absolutely wasn't on, really wasn't on those two. But um, they did that, and I, I think they're both forging connections. This is the really promising thing, isn't it? You've got two lads there. Yeah. Really starting off their careers, but both of them are on... On the fringes of the England squad, in contention, I think at least two will get into that that um, next squad for the international break. Yeah, and um, they're pushing Everton forward on the pitch as well. It's it's the young guns kind of leading the way.
0: It is well. Let's before we get into Tuesday, let's just focus on a, a less young gun, uh, and not even a gun really. <laughs> <I'm> not much of <laughs> it. Sure. A misfiring gun, Mister um, uh He was on the pitch at London Stadium in a royal blue shirt playing for Everton uh, and as someone <laughs> said to me it's 2020 how is Umar Nias still playing for Everton <laughs> and that stuck in my head and became a piece on the site yeah. um, and it, it's the sort of surreal nature of it when you're taking off a striker who you signed with full of potential from Juventus in the summer and replaced him with Umar Nias it's just something quite unusual and bizarre about that um, now obviously you know what happened on Tuesday happened We're gone about that but Nias, um, has, he, he came on, and I wrote him a piece that Evertonians, we 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 do have a grudging, well, not even a grudging, but a respect and an affection for him. Yeah. But it's a respect for, I think, his resilience, his character, more than his abilities as a Premier League footballer. And that's what Everton are paying him for. And that's where, it's not his fault, but it, he has to go down as a completely disastrous piece of recruitment even albeit for what is in the modern Premier League era, not a huge sum, but it's a big enough £13.5 million. Um, i I've seen a few abominable footballers sadly playing for Everton, but in technically he's up there. Certainly not in work rate, but technically he's up there. And he was the same at the Olympic Stadium. One pass was just in front of him and he tried to control it. And it went out, and I'm thinking like, how has he won this lottery? For you must think how, because I read this great piece that I think Oli had done didn't, when he went out to uh, write about Sadio Mane's uh, kind of yeah coming in from mm-hmm. Senegal and you know how to think that Mane had to beat the odds to make it to Europe and look how good he is and yet that same process that same odds-defying process was made by being Nias and he just doesn't look like a Premier League footballer never has done, has he?
1: No, I, I don't think he does. What you have to say about him is that he gives us all. He doesn't really adhere to any kind of system that I can see he because can't? he he can't. He's not. He's not a. He's not a football. He's not a tac- tactical or technical footballer. I actually just think he thrives in chaos, in, <laughs> in open play. You know. Yeah, no,
0: I tend to agree with you there. Under
1: managers, yeah. for example, that don't really have a set system and yeah. just play the ball long, and you feed off scraps, and Umar kind of bundles around. He does, I think, disorientate defenders because he disorientates himself yes. in, in what yeah. he does. And yeah. um, We've both spoken to, to people over the past couple of weeks, particularly for your piece and some of the stuff we have back was, look, he's, he's, you'll know this yourself, but he's not a Premier League quality player in, in his technical ability. That doesn't mean he hasn't no, had a contribution at times. I think he has. He scored some very important goals when Everton were at low points. Under Ronald Koeman and David Unsworth, and he actually became a little bit of a talisman, weirdly.
0: But well, you could see that the reception he got when he came on. Yeah, away from like the sort of the mocking, this is absurd. There was, like I said earlier, there was general like, let's get behind him because he just wears his heart on his sleeve, and sometimes that's enough. But not really.
1: Well, there were, there are two schools of thought here, Andy. You've got the Everton fans that are bought into his story, yeah. and that story of being deprived of a locker under Ronald Koeman, um, going into the under-23s, having to play a role in their title win under David Unsworth, mentoring the young players, coming back, scoring goals when Everton needed him in the first team. So I think, I think fans have bought into that story and know that he will give his all. But then there are other fans like the ones outside the London Stadium with you that, that are looking at this and thinking, maybe this is a real symptom of where Everton are at this moment in time, that they're still relying on players like that. And I guess that's the big debate for me here. There is, at the moment, because of Richarlison's injury, there is a paucity of options up front. Keane is being promoted, and there aren't many striking options below that are ready to step up. But I just I just look at it, and more than anything, it seems to me like on Tuesday night against Newcastle, there was effectively a decision between Umani as and Anthony Gordon as to who came on. Yeah. One is you, you're hoping part of Everton's bright future. The other is somebody that they're trying to get rid of in the ass and I almost think like they are they are seizing an opportunity in Richarlison's injury to give him a few minutes and put him in the shop
0: window I think that's absolutely what they're doing aren't they let's yep. face it. they're not doing it because they want to rehabilitate him back into the first team fold they're doing it to remind potential suitors hey we've got this guy here that could do a job for you bit crazy thrives off chaos <laughs> He can score goals he's, he's reasonably quick and he works hard just don't pay too much attention to his first touch. Or well, that's
1: <laughs> t- that's it though, isn't it? Because th- this is where it becomes, you would think, slightly
0: counterproductive. Because well, it did on Tuesday. For to ev- a degree. Well, for for every more
1: than that though, for every for every person that looks and goes, oh, he's still playing in the Premier League. Oh, for right, I just what you're saying. I just mean, yeah. the will also be a scout that looks there and goes, well, actually, his first touch isn't up to scratch. Yeah. I mean, he he. I I wrote a piece after the the Newcastle game. Um. Looking at exactly why Everton folded in the way they did.
0: Well, let, let's get on that then, because you know,
1: why did they? <laughs> yeah. well, well, one of the big takeaways from me is that they just weren't good enough on the ball. There, R- there were three or four occasions I had to I had to watch that six minutes back. I did it, I think, three times. I think you deserve base. a medal for that. Well, it was,
0: I mean, it's it, it, it's not the thing you want to
1: do when you're in Everton in the day after that kind of performance. This is
0: where you need one of those caveats at the Samaritans helpline, well, flashing yeah. across the bottom of the podcast, don't you? But well, that was a heavy watch. But you you, you felt that it was our own inadequacies on the ball, more than anything else, and he was part of that, wasn't
1: he? There were three or four things that I pinpointed. Mm -hmm. But within two minutes of watching that portion of the game, that very small portion of the game, 90 to 92 minutes, if we want to phrase it that way, he loses a ball in midfield that Seamus Coleman's played into him. It's not an easy ball to control. It's one with his back-to-goal that he should just effectively just hold and then give back. To a midfielder or Coleman, loses that in Newcastle attack. From that attack, Newcastle then lose the ball themselves. Richie with a really bad cross, and he puts it into midfield. And there's a counter attack on. And there's two Ever- two Everton players, Nias and Calvert Lewin, against two Newcastle defenders. And you think there are so many different options here. As as the player in possession, you can look to take the ball to the corner flag. You can keep hold of it and just take time out of the game. You can drop it into Calvert-Lewin, who's better at holding the ball up. In the end, it's a really heavy first touch, an awful first touch. And Jamal LaSalle's Newcastle centre-back um, mops it up. There were other occasions as well. Uh, Delph lose possession from from the kickoff at 2-1. Um, Luca Dean gives possession away in, in the left channel, clearing the ball with his right foot. Is
0: that when him and Tom Davies had swapped those really diffident sort yeah. of nothing passes, short-range passes, and um, invited more pressure on themselves.
1: Yeah, exactly, and Newcastle's high press was relatively effective at that point. Probably it the seemed first to time grow, effective. the press yeah.
0: seemed to get better in the injury time from Newcastle, didn't
1: it? Well, it, it did, it, it definitely did, and that was part of the reason why Everton struggled in those, yeah. in, in those final stages. But, I mean, we, we can talk about that, but I think adding into the mix, you've got the giving away of dangerous free kicks. They conceded one, there are still big issues from set pieces mm. and from crosses. Um, they're still, I think, fourth in the in the league table for set piece goals conceded this season. Newcastle scored off two, West Ham scored off one on Saturday off a Delphile foul, Davis foul the the other night um, against Newcastle. Uh, so if you're not good at defending those, you need to stop giving them away. And certainly don't be giving petty ones away. Yeah, it's one thing if somebody's running through on goal and you have to check them, you have to bring them down and take a card for the yeah. team, but not when, not when it's like Sean Longstaff competing for a ball in the centre of midfield. There's just no danger there whatsoever. With Davies, me with with Davies. Yeah, it was Chelsea as well. Yeah, um, with,
0: as well with Davies. Right, well, it frustrated me, and I think you know what you're doing. But I thought it was a bit of a harsh free kick. But then it, you take that risk. When, you, when it's clearly he's under the ball a bit and he's lost flight of it, if you turn your back on a player and use your body to obstruct them, some refs are going to give us a free kick. It was harsh, but then it, you've seen it given so often that you can't complain too much. No. And I then wouldn't what complain. happens after that? The defendant was shambolic, wasn't
1: it? Well, it's really, really bad. Um, so, I mean, we've already there pinpointed a lack of composure in possession. Yeah. The fact that with the ass up front, they yeah. didn't have somebody to hold up the ball. All these elements that help a side kill a game and, and um, take away the three points see out a, a, a performance they're all things that I feel Everton lack to a certain extent now if you had Charles up front running the ball into the corner Andre Gomez in in central midfield maybe with gilfie Sigurdsson another good ball player passing the ball about then I think immediately your chances of seeing yeah. out games improved not, dramatically not least
0: perhaps Jean-Philippe Kabamon you know just a guy like two, yeah, providing that shield if you have those, so you're right to point that out, that you know we're not where we need to be and have got players on our books capable of doing that. But we haven't, and we still shouldn't be seeing games out so disastrously. I thought your piece was really interesting. It highlighted that this isn't a new thing. It's yeah. not a new problem, and it's been a problem under several different managers, most notably Marco Silva, unfortunately as well, uh, on Tuesday anyway, Ancelotti.
1: Well, they con- conceded one of the, the stats that I put in the article is that they've they've conceded... The joint most goals in the league between seventy six and the end of a match or ninety minutes. However,
0: that's it. Yeah. You want to you want
1: to phrase that with Aston Villa, I think, which is a worrying sign in itself. So you look at why and you, you think to yourself, well, it's about not being able to keep hold of the ball, hold the ball up, not knowing how to kill the game, win free kicks, not having people that take responsibility in the face of adversity, win headers when sides. Are loading the box with crosses yeah. a goalkeeper that comes out and is commanding all of these things that Everton kind of lack I think that that's fed into this to to an extent it? and yeah. it's, it's kind of quite worrying really isn't it because in order to improve in order to get better Everton need to be beaten sides like Newcastle comfortably um, yeah they should is. have they sh- on any other day they probably would have done um, I, th- I thought 2-1 flat at Newcastle never never mind just a bit two two. Yeah,
0: I think the major, the, the major disappointments for me, apart from the shock, just you know of, of the actual final whistle and thinking that they've just thrown away some of the easiest three points they would have come by really, and I don't just mean easy as it, you know, no Premier League games easy, but the golfing class was huge, and you're right to say two one at Newcastle. They were a different team and at the time. I'll give them that in terms of the the sort of the vigor and, well, and the effectiveness. Long, and yeah, but but. They were terrible. And Everton, by contrast, were probably up there with the best I've seen them this season. Moise Keane was really good. I thought, you know, in in the piece I did about him um, after the game in London, Seamus Coleman was saying that confidence is just, it galvanises a player. And he said, stating the obvious a bit, but it it just changes a player. And you saw that in one phase after his goal, which I thought... Of all the chances he's had this season, and he's hit some really sweetly, and he's been a bit unlucky, and he's bent them around the post. It wasn't even the cleanest strike; it was straight at the keeper, but it was obviously hard. And Debravka made an uncharacteristic, uh, rick really to yeah. let it go under him. But it doesn't matter. It was a goal, and reception was brilliant. Goodison took off. He was, you know, the, finally that pressure was off his shoulders, and he played like that, didn't he? You know, um, David Hughes, who's a, a, a tactics writer, I saw earlier. Posted the video of making this point, and it was like a couple of minutes after he'd scored. And he did this brilliant—he won the ball back on the edge of our uh, Everton half, and then surged so upfield, yeah. and then picked a really nice pass to Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Yeah. Um, everything about that was brilliant. And Moise Keane of Saturday doesn't do that. Moise Keane at West Ham wasn't able to do that because he didn't have that belief and that confidence. And so that's a huge positive. And the only the only sadness from it is that his goal in a way it was a footnote by the end of the evening and it shouldn't have been it should have been its turning point, and hopefully it will be yeah. but I wanted to ask you as well about the goalkeeper because there, there was a discussion on the, on the athletic side today a wider one our colleagues were taking part in about will Pickford be the, the keeper in March for England um, and I was reading some of the comments on that and I put a comment in it myself and I was sort of thinking well never mind England it, it there's even a school of thought that is position as Everton's long-term goalkeeper at the moment is in more doubt than it's ever been. Now, I, I caveat that with I don't think Carlo Ancelotti shares that concern or he certainly publicly he made a point last week at Finch The yeah. saying Ooh, I'm not looking for a new goalkeeper. We've got a good goalkeeper. We've got England's number one. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, okay, we have. I would still say there is flaws have been more apparent this season than possibly any time in his Everton career.
1: Yeah, well, the it's been a difficult couple of months for him. I wrote a piece about his performance after the first Anfield derby, the league game, where Everton obviously lost 5-2. And I think what we saw in that game was it was an issue over decision-making. like When to come, when to stay. He was staying on his line when he maybe should have come out. And he was coming out when yeah. he should have stayed. Yeah. And then there were times when he kind of went in between the two Yeah. and didn't really do anything. Now, he's a... We've seen this before. That he's a he's a goalkeeper. That when everything clicks, he's got fantastic agility. He's dext. Uh, he's loads great great dexterity. Yeah, he can play out well from the back at times. Um, so shot stopper, shot stopper, yeah. all that kind of thing. He's not going to be phased by playing on the big occasion. That's not something that worries him. Yeah. at the very least. Um, oh, he doesn't lack confidence at all. He does. He doesn't lack confidence at all. That, that's a better way to phrase it. And when all that clicks, like we saw for England at the World Cup, mm. it's a really potent combination. It's a fantastic combination. I just, uh, it's not, it's not cli- clicking consistently. He I, I started the season really well, ended last season really well, but there's been a bit of a blip in the in the middle of the campaign, like against Newcastle. I think he was a fault for at least one of the goals there. Yeah at the first one that lejeune scores with the overhead kick. Um, there are a few issues against uh, against Liverpool. There have been a few free kicks where he's been beaten at supposedly in quotation marks at his at his near post yeah. uh, on his side. I should I should say. So I think there is a debate to be had, but I think we should be having debates now given that we've got a new manager. We should be having debates about everybody in this Everton squad. Because it's blank canvas. Okay. Yeah. Under yeah. under Carlo Ancelotti, and I think you've got to look at this. Saying, yeah, you've got yeah. to look at this and go, well, we've done this like this for the last year or two, but it hasn't exactly <laughs> worked. So, I mean, yeah. I mean, there are, there, are, there are a couple of players, like for example, Richarlison has to start. Dominic Calvert Lewin now has to start. Yeah. There are a few others. Andre Gomez, if fit, you would say, has to start. There are a few players. I I mm. would I would also say, for example, even though Bernard needs to be more consistent, I I. Do now feel he deserves a run of games um, because he's just a creative influence yes, for Everton, especially
0: when he cuts inside like he was doing on Tuesday night. Thought he was really good again. I think again, I think the point you made, which I noticed that Walcott and Bernard were really coming in centrally, and it was having a great effect on our attacking play, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love I love to see Bernard in particular doing that because I think he's got the nous nice to play as like almost a second ten. Yeah. When he comes in and does that, he's got that ability, hasn't he? So that was good.
1: Definitely. Um,
0: before we wrap up, one player that um, <laughs> I suppose I'll say it because it's almost like the elephant in the room who we would always, I know me and you are uh, big fans of his, and we would normally say he's got to start. But touch on what you were saying about, well, everyone's up for grabs in theory. What's gone on with Luca Dean? His form's just gone off a cliff recently. This was a guy who, this season apart, and last season, was comfortably Everton's best player. He was an eight at least an eight out of ten every most weeks. And even when Everton played badly, he was usually the best player. But now I don't know if it's a, just a lack of confidence, a natural slump in form, presumably and hopefully it's that. But he's not the Luca Dean that we've come to expect.
1: No, and that's that's in two facets of play, I think. Going going forward he is still having an input. It'd be unfair to say he's not. And there was of course that fantastic through ball, threaded through ball for Calvert Lewin's Goal against Newcastle. Yep. but I think the corner at,
0: at West Ham. The, the corner at West Ham. But I, I
1: think he, sh- I think he struggled in particular against Robert Snodgrass. Not the quickest player in the world either. And I mean, if you're struggling against Robert Snodgrass, then there's an issue there. It, yeah, shows. Yeah, there yeah. are yeah. certain problems defensively. He still having input going forward. but I don't think he's having as much of a, an input week in week out. But not quite the kind of the buccaneering performances that we came to expect from him last season. No. And wh- what we've got to realise with Luke Dean is that when he joined Everton there was there was no history really of him ever in his career racking up 10 12 assists and five goals and loads of free kicks often he was setting personal bests and new records for him yeah so whether this is a blip that he will get over or whether it's something more than that and maybe he's just regressed to kind of his natural form I think that remains to be seen but we are lucky in in a sense that we we've seeing how effective Leighton Baines has been yeah. of late. I thought he was fantastic in some of the games that he filled in for um, for Dean defensively as well against the likes of Manchester United and, and Leicester. Obviously scored that goal against Leicester. Yeah. So that is one area of the pitch that you look at and think, okay, if, if the worst comes to the worst and they decide that Luca Dean does need a run out of the side, then you have got Leighton Baines to fill in and do a more than adequate job. So, I mean, I'm less concerned about that. I'm now considerably less concerned about the attack than I was a couple of months ago because you've got Calvert-Lewin, Richarlison, both banging form. Moise Keane looks, fingers crossed, touch wood, like he's going to be a great option, rotation option or a great starting option, depending on the system Everton want to play. So you've got three good strikers there. You've got Bernard, who's now having more good games than bad. I loved, by the way, nobody's speaking about this, but I loved the ball for um, moyes Keane's goal. I just, I I thought it was so, it was imaginative. It was everything that Bernard's good at. And again, comes in that central position. Yeah, yeah. And I think when he, he, like you say, when he drags in, when he drags inside and he's able to play those slide rule passes to Calvert-Lewin and Luca Dean's on the overlap. Everton look at their best. Yeah, they do. Everton look at their they best. He's, a, he's got this ingenuity about him when he's when he's at his at his best at his yeah. peak. And he's one of those players. He's one of the players that you love to go and watch um, when he does stuff like yeah, that. I so totally agree. we spoke last week about finding answers, and I think we have found out some things about this Everton side. We know in a four four two that now we've got three pretty good strikers. You would think. Yeah. Moving forward, you've got a few options in Bernard. I think a as well, even if he's not a left winger if you tasked him with coming inside in the way that Bernard is doing now, he could be effective in that role slightly tucked in from the left. Yeah. And and a few options are starting to appear. Mason Holgate progressed well. Um, Sidibe, we know, is a good crosser of the ball at the very least. Um, so this is, the, this is the really frustrating thing, isn't it? Because the tone of this podcast or the tone of certainly the Newcastle chat is more or less entirely governed by a mad minute and a half. Yeah. But for 93 minutes, I thought Everton were really good. Yeah, and there were obvious signs of progression. Ancelotti had tasked them with being more vertical in their passing, being braver in possession. I think they did that in the main. I think Everton cut Newcastle. And Newcastle, were playing three at the back, at yeah. times five. Yeah, They cut them open at will and could have scored more than that. Calvert-Lewin hit the post. Um, Dubravka makes a number of good saves from Holgate and, and a few others. So on another night, that could have been 4-0 to Everton. And I just think that maybe the, the fatigue's caught up with them, the fact that they, they struggled under the high ball, they made a few of the wrong decisions. That's something to work on. But I think below the surface there, just beneath that, there are causes for optimism.
0: No, I totally agree. And uh, what about the transfer window? I I hear you ask. All quiet as it stands. We'll no doubt delve much deeper into that in next week's episode. We're still more or less expecting Everton to at least attempt to do some business. Um, probably more well, definitely more outgoings than incomings, but I would be personally, I would be surprised if if uh, Ancelotti didn't try and bring someone in. Mm. Um, but we'll we'll be across that. So look out uh, on Twitter and on the site. So listen, thanks very much for tuning in. Um, I think we ended on a reasonably positive note. Thanks to Paddy. I don't know how he's managed to muster that, given that <laughs> he had to, he had to watch that extra time three times. Mm. Um, to donate to Paddy <laughs> <laughs> for just one pound, you can make Paddy's life better. Just send me nice messages and say, <laughs> yeah, For an ad-free podcast, make sure you subscribe to Athletic and listen through the app. And you can get a forty percent discount now by using the code Everton Pod. That's the code Everton Pod. Um, thank you very much for listening, and see you soon.